Good morning, everybody. This week we're uh, in John chapter 15 again. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Thank you, Brian. Can we say Happy New Year before it's Happy New Year? Year. Absolutely, we can do that. Yeah. Well, Happy New Year. Hey, it's good to see you here this morning. Welcome to uh, Bergen Park Church. I do want to encourage you tomorrow... Uh, great opportunity if you're new to Bergen Park, if you can come at 745 to come and serve the community, if you have seen that community up the hill. Uh, Rocky Village, come join us 745. I, I don't think you have to be an expert in cooking, anything. Just come and, and be a part of that and fellowship in that. It'd be a great opportunity to connect. You know, and as a community, as a church, um, God calls us to love the community in which we live. You know, to love in tangible ways, in ways that we sacrifice for our community. We love, we serve the community. And there's a noise. And some of you may know uh, there was a report this morning that a number of officers were shot down in Denver and there's an active shooting that's taking place. And so as we begin this morning, let's just lift up our our city, uh, Denver, Evergreen and ask the Lord to, uh, to protect and to guide and then to bring a community around uh, those that are suffering. Uh, many during this year, as you know, Christmas is a time of celebration, but for many people it is uh, a time of depression and hardship. And as the church, we can enter into that, one, by praying, but also by just being aware of the people around us, uh, that there are those that are lonely, that don't have family members or Maybe you have lost somebody this year. And so while we're celebrating and enjoying the joy of this season, a lot of people are going through tremendously hard times. And so as we begin this morning and kind of kicking off this new year, just to, to lift up uh, those who are hurting and struggling. Some of you may be here today. 
you may have loved ones and uh, family members just going through difficult times. And so let's just intercede. Uh, I'm going to give us just about 30, 45 seconds of silence just to do that. And then uh, I'm going to jump in and pray. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we know your love because that love became, became tangible. Lord, you entered the world and yet the world did not embrace you. The world rejected you. The world was hostile towards you. The world hated you. And Father, in our hearts, before we heard the gospel, our hearts were at enmity with you. There was violence. There was hatred. It's not out there in the world, but rather... Lord, because of, we believe in the reality of sin, that hatred and anger is so often, it's in us. And you came to, to rescue, to redeem, to save. You are our Savior. You, you call us out of darkness into light. And yet, as people of light, Father, we see a world that is struggling. People are hurting. And we want to bring compassion to those who are going through difficult times, certainly in this year, in Christmas season. Father, would you... In Jesus' name, make us aware of those who are around us. Would we not walk into King Supers or to the grocery store, wherever we travel, Father, without recognizing that these are individuals that you love and you have died for. And Lord, in our city, there are those who are called to protect. And Lord, we'd ask today, as in many places in this world, there's violence and there's anger. Lord, would you protect those who protect us? And Father... Would you not just work through those who protect us? Would you work through us? Would we be a community that loves one another as you have loved us? And so, Father, this morning as we get into your word in John 15 and as we seek to, to know you better, Father, would you through the power of your Holy Spirit intercede? Would you speak to us? And, Lord, would we experience that you were with us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next week we're going to begin a new series. We're going to be walking through the book of 1 Peter. So if you're looking for that New Year's resolution, you know, start reading the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to be walking through that book in the coming weeks. Today we're going to be finishing this series, God With Us, and looking at the message of Christmas. And as Joe said so well this morning, Christmas is still going in the church calendar in the season of Advent. And, and then we're going to be entering into Lent, uh, the Lenten season, as we prepare for Easter. And as we do that, as I said, we'll be walking through 1 Peter. We're going to do that because 1 Peter is about a community of exiles. Now, exiles are those who have gone to a land, but they haven't chosen to go there. They recognize that they're in a place because God has placed them there, and God wants to use them in that place to demonstrate to that community who He is. And see, as Christians, we are exiles. Now, we may have chosen to move to Evergreen. You may have chosen to come to this community. But the reality is this is not our home. I know we want to get roots, right? We want to get roots down someplace. We want to feel connected. But the reality is we are sojourners. We are not citizens even of the United States. We are citizens of heaven first and foremost. And so when we share the love for God and the love for Jesus Christ with others, we are now the family of God. And so we live in this world as exiles. Now we're going to talk about what that means in the coming weeks. Because if you live for Jesus, you ready? 
you're going to be treated like Jesus. And as Christians, sometimes we get angry at a world that doesn't agree with us. Well, the world shouldn't agree with us. That's okay. What we need to do is to be so connected to Jesus that when the world doesn't agree with us, we can respond to the world the way Jesus responded to the world with sacrifice and love and and compassion rather than anger and hatred and disagreement. And so we're going to be doing that over the next coming weeks. So jump into 1 Peter. I want to encourage you to do that. And today, if you want to take out, if you grabbed it as you walked in, there's a handout. And on that handout, some of the passages we're going to be walking through this morning and also a prayer. And during this Advent season, I've encouraged you to pray this prayer. And even if you haven't done that, you can do it today. It's, today's a good day to always start. And here's the prayer that I've encouraged you guys to, uh, to focus on what we've been walking through. And it says, in Christ, there's nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. That's the gospel. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. And I I pray I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. The gospel says there's nothing I can do that can cause God to love me any more and nothing you can do that can cause God to love you any less. Here's the challenge. Do we believe that? We believe, but do we actively live out of what God has done for us? Do we really believe that I'm accepted through Jesus and Jesus alone? Or is this, there this subtle anxiety in your heart? Do you ever get this? You know, you disobey, you're kind of going down a rebellious path, and you wonder if God is after you, he's condemning you, he's punishing you for the life that you're living. That we think sometimes the reason God loves us or accepts us is based on our performance. But see, Christianity is so different than any other religion. It's not about performance. It's about good news. It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has performed everything. And on the cross, he said, you ready? It's finished. The work is done. And see, now my life is lived in rest. I'm resting in the finished work of Christ, which means when I go to work, listen, you're at rest. I know you don't feel at rest because you don't know how to integrate worship into work, but you're at rest. The work is done. The approval, the answer of approval that I've been looking for in life has been given to me through Jesus Christ, through God the Father. He accepts me as a child of God. I am secure in Him, which means I can go out into the world with humility and confidence. Humility, I didn't do anything to make God love me. Confidence, God loves me and sent His Son for me. And if He's willing to do that for me, He who did not spare His own Son, Right, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? The life of a Christian is a life of humility and courage in what God has done. Now today what we're going to look at is we're talking about what it means to abide in Jesus. That he is the vine and we are the branches. And his command to us as believers is to rest and to make our home in what God has done. Meaning to put my identity in Jesus and not in my physical appearance, right? To put my identity in Jesus and not in the money that I make or what I have or what I've done or what people say about me or what they don't say about me. Rather, my identity is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, and I want to sink my roots and make my home there. 
Now, how do we do that? Well, we do that a number of ways. Jesus said one of the ways we do it is by remaining in his words. We've got to take the words of God and allow those words to saturate our hearts to the extent that we start to think God's thoughts. Now, you know how this works in marriage, right? You do. You know how this works in marriage because you probably were looking at that present you were going to buy for your wife and what were you processing? You're thinking about what she's going to say. You're thinking about how she's going to see things. Or when you're making decisions in life, when you've been married a long time, you have like two opinions, right? You've got your opinion and you've got her opinion because you're thinking each other's thoughts. Well, that's what God wants us to do with his word is to make our home in his word in such a way that we start thinking God's thoughts. And so when someone offends us, instead of just going after what my thoughts say, I want to go to what the word of God says. And I'll say, hey, Lord, in this moment, my natural inclination is to yell and just get angry. But you didn't do that to me. Rather, you served me, loved me, died for me. So in this moment, would your words give me the power to love in a way that only Jesus could love. And so we abide in his words. We abide in the Holy Spirit. Now today, what I want us to look at is how we can abide in mission. You know, in abiding in mission, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the good news of the Christian life. You can't do it. Isn't that great news? Because there's so much. If you go to any kind of conference or inspirational speech, it's all about you can do it. You can do it. You're smart enough. You're... You're strong enough. You can accomplish it. The Christian life is the opposite. It starts with the reality, I can't do it. Because what God is attracted to is humility. That's why we sing that song that so many of us love. I need thee every second. (laughs) Right? Not just every hour. I need thee every second. That's humility. Every hour. It's not that I just gave my life to Jesus and now my future is set. No, I need... God, every moment of the day, because the life he wants me to live is a life I can't live unless I'm abiding in him. Are you with me? And so today we're going to look at something that may be a little new, but what does it look like to abide in him by being on mission together? Because see, God has sent us into the world, and if you go back to John 15, what Jesus says in John 15 is that he has chosen us, which is great news, but he says, I've chosen you for a reason. And he, say, he doesn't say, I've chosen you so that you might just kind of stick with me and have your best life now. I know that's popular. But rather what he says is, I've chosen you so that you would go. Just like Abraham. Remember Abraham? He had it set. He had his best life now. You know what God said? I want you to leave your best life now and I want you to go to a place and to a people who know nothing about you with a culture that's totally different that eats food that stinks and but I want, you to, I want you to go there and make your life there. And so he says in John chapter 15, I want you to go. And in verse 14, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 16. But listen, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And here's why I chose you, that you may go and bear much fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And these things I command you so that you may love one another. That God has chosen us not for a life of comfort, but a life of mission. To go. 
And so that may sound familiar because Jesus said it this way. Right? He said, go therefore into all the nations, baptizing, making disciples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then in John, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. What happens in the Christian life is sometimes we focus more on the benefits of the Christian life, the benefits of knowing God, the benefits of community, and we start living for comfort instead of for mission. And when we start to do that, we stop abiding in Him, and we start thinking the Christian life is something I can do on my own effort and my own power. And I'll tell you, that's when Christianity becomes boring, dead, and stale. When we're living a life on mission with a community of people that have various gifts and talents and abilities, it gets exciting. Because now we're coming together and saying, God, how can we love the community of Evergreen, the city of Denver, in the same way you loved us? And here's the cool thing. So many of you have different backgrounds and gifts and skills and talents and creativity that we can come together and say, Father, we want to see a vision for what you want to do to communicate your love to this community. And here's the reality. I come from Arlington, Texas. I don't get evergreen. Some of you are kind of communicating. You know, I don't get it because I haven't lived here. I don't know the mentality of Colorado. I'm still learning that. I'm learning this community. How can we love? But see, for some of you that have been here a long time or been in this, this state, you, you know the culture, you know the people. And see, God wants to give us a vision for how we can communicate his love in a way that the people in this community can actually receive. And that's the beauty of what God has called us to, is to be on mission for him. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, I love this passage, and this is how Paul captured it. Listen to what he said. He said, this is the intent of the church. Ephesians 3, verse 10, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities. Let that sit in. Now, the church is not this building. If you think you came to the church this morning, Bergen Park Church is a building. We are the church. And so he's saying, through the community of God's people, he wants his wisdom to be made manifest, to be obvious, so that people would look at the church and they'd say, you know, I don't get what they believe, but I get it. I, I see how trusting God makes sense. I mean, look at the way they do money. Who does money like the church does money? You know, they, they use money in ways that change lives, that help uh, single mothers to go through school, to provide for their families. They, they use money not to just invest in their community, but to send it across the world to a community that doesn't have medical treatment or food or resources. They go into another community in Denver and meet the needs of inner city kids because they love God and because God was so generous, they want to be generous to others. Look at the way they do money. Hey, I may not agree with what they believe in, but you, can you disagree with how they live? See, when people look at the church, what God wants to do is to see the wisdom of God in the way we do marriage. How's that working out? We need some help there. To, to see the wisdom of God in the way we raise our kids. We don't raise our kids the same way the world raises their kids because we have Christ. And so we do things in a way that mirror Christ to our children. And then, see, that's not about perfection. That's a pursuit. Christianity is not about perfection. It's not about getting it right. It's about every time you get it wrong to run to the one who's right. Are you with me? 
I think so often we get in this road of, I got to get it right, I got to get it right, I got to get it right. That's the only way the world's going to know Jesus came. No, the world's going to know Jesus came because we're humble enough to admit the one who is right. And then in our marriage, say, God, you got to save this marriage. Or to say, God, I got these desires, I can't control them, but you can. Would you save me? Would you rescue me? And so God has called us together to be a people so that when the community of Evergreen looks at the church, they may say, hey, I don't agree with them on every issue, but I have a hard time disagreeing with what I see in their life. Is that what we're pursuing? When somebody in this room offends you, are you thinking more about you? Are you thinking about what does this say about the gospel? And the way I respond to her The way I respond to him, am I more concerned about what this says about the glory and the beauty of God? Or am I more interested in protecting Jason's little kingdom? You with me? The little kingdom for which Jesus had to come and die so that I could be ransomed out of my slavery to know the love of God. When people look at the church, do they see the wisdom of God? Hey, listen, do they see the wisdom of God in the way we approach, can I say it? politics that's a big issue we do not have civility today you know where you find civility you find it in the gospel christianity says we are created in the imago day the image of god that's majestic i've seen a lot of majestic things in the three months i've lived here but god says in scripture there's nothing more majestic than a human being no matter how vile that human being has lived, or no matter how different that human being is than me, there is nothing more majestic than the image of God that is captured in another human being. See, when we approach life, we've got to stop approaching life according to what our desires are, the way we see things, but rather to take the gospel, to take the word of God, and to allow it to start saying no to us. Are you with me on that? I don't like being told no. And I know Coloradans, I mean, you guys are independent. I've run into that. There isn't one way to do things, Jason. There's a lot of ways, okay? I got it. I'm I'm learning. But you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to say no. No, that's not how you're going to do marriage. No, that's not how you're going to talk to your wife. No, that's not how you're going to speak. That's not the language. You're not going to use coarse talk. You might have grown up. You may struggle with that. That's okay to struggle. But you're not going to go there because when people look at the church, they need to see the wisdom of God and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying in Ephesians, why did God rescue us? So that when they look at the relationships we have, they would see the wisdom of God. That's beautiful. Hey, listen, that's lofty. Because see, here's the reality. I can't do that on my own. It's only something we can do as we love God together and as we love each other. That's the mission that God sent us out on. That people would look in and say, I understand. I can see it. Now, how are we going to have those kind of relationships? Because I'll tell you, when someone offends me, I get offended. (laughs) It's a pretty blinding flash of the obvious. When someone offends me, I get offended. I get angry. I get resentful. I can, I can hold on to bitterness just as good as anybody. But here's the thing. I know that it leads to death. I know it leads to death. And so how are we going to be a community that manifests the wisdom of God when we are a little prickly? 
You know, we say things to each other. The church is one of the best places to get hurt. The best places to get offended. The church has done some horrific things in the name of Jesus. Horrible, horrible things. So how are we going to, with this kind of brokenness in our own lives, how are we going to be that wisdom? Well, here's the beauty. It, It doesn't start with us. It starts with being captivated by what God has done for us. And being captivated by the kind of relationship that God has with us. See, what is the relationship God has with us individually and then with us as the church? Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2. You see this in your handout again. Ephesians 2 verse 19. And so he's speaking to us and Paul's saying, So you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Meaning, when we trust in Jesus, we get a family. You didn't get to choose your family. But you know how you learn to love Jesus? By loving the people who are around you. And there's always people who are grace builders. If you don't know what that means, it's probably you. You with me? Those individuals that are difficult to love, the people we want to kind of push away because they're just different. Well, see, that's where God wants to express his love to train us to care for each other. Because if you're not a part of the community, who are the people that you're serving and sacrificing for? Who are the people that you're looking for their best best interest and and kind of setting your best interest aside? Now, we do that hopefully in the home. But see, when it's in a community of people that shouldn't get along, that's what the church really is. When you look at the global church, there's no reason we should get along other than the fact that we have a common experience and a common Savior and a common love through Jesus Christ. And see, that power draws us together. And so he's saying that we are now the family of God. We have to start treating each other as family. Which means you can't write anyone off. No matter what they believe, you don't write people off. Because what was the extent to which Jesus went to make sure he didn't write anyone off? He went from heaven all the way down to becoming a human being and dying on a cross. Why? Because he didn't want to write anyone off. We don't write people off. And the basis on which we write people off, we've got to start checking that with God because sometimes we evaluate people on a basis that God does not evaluate people. He does not show partiality. He is not impressed with your ethnicity, your education, your income. Because here's the reality. He gave that all to you. None of that impresses him. You know what impresses him? He says all the time, I hear the Lord saying it to me, Jason, I don't look at the outward appearance. I know you're impressed, Jason. I know it. I see it. You like that car. You like that house. You'd like to look like this. But I'm not impressed by the outward appearance. I'm impressed by the heart. God is after the heart. And when he sees a heart that loves him and is humble, that's power. That's power. He says in Ephesians, we are the people of God and we're built on a cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. Now that language of cornerstone, the cornerstone of a building was the strongest point, but it was also the stone by which the rest of the building took its shape. So whatever the shape of the cornerstone when you were laying that foundation, that cornerstone now kind of sent the lines of the building out, if you can imagine that, one of those chalk lines, sent those lines out for the whole structure of that building, which meant if Jesus is our cornerstone, 
then everything, us, and we are the spiritual house, when we're building on Jesus, we need to start looking like our foundation. We need to be built on the foundation, which is Jesus, which means we got to get Jesus more into our lives, into our finances, into our marriages, into our workplace, into our homes, into our schools, into our community. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation, which means I'm not building my life on sand. I've got a firm foundation. And if I've got that foundation, you know it's your foundation when it's the place you run to when everything turns to sand. Are you with me on that? Is your life like that? My life can go to sand quick. I mean, God loves to remind me how I am not God. Well, your foundation, your cornerstone is the thing you run to when everything else starts to shift. And he's saying, I want you to run to me. And when you do, you're going to start looking like me. And so here's the, re- the reality. Until we understand what God's done for us, we can't be that for each other. And, and I love the image that God gives us about what our relationship with him looks like. You ready for this? The image he uses of what our relationship looks like is marriage. You know how Paul said that? What is, what is marriage? It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So when you get to like Ephesians 5, I'm going to read that. In the way that Paul instructs husbands to love our wives. He says, husbands. And realize, this is a male-dominated society. And when I say dominated, in a male-dominated society, beating your wife was normal. And what is he saying? How countercultural is this? He says, I don't want you to harm her. I want you to love her. I want you to care for her. As Christ loved the church, listen to this, and gave himself up for her. That's pretty deep. Because Jesus went a long way to give himself up for me. Because here's the reality. In every argument I had with God, I was always wrong, and he knew it. And, you know, he knew the best way to come back at me at any moment just to floor me. You with me in that? There's those moments you're arguing, you're like, I want to get that. I want to say just that right thing, just to shut her up. I want to crush her. You know, Jesus could have done that. But what did he do? He was long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. And it was his kindness that led me to repentance. And he says, husbands, in the same way, I want you to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her. That means cleanse her, beautify her, cherish her, all those words. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present her or present the church to himself. Listen to this splendor without spot. This is like the the ultimate wedding day. Everything's perfect, right? You're coming down the aisle. She is without spot. She is arrayed in splendor. The flowers, the mountain in the background. I mean, it is just gorgeous. And he's saying to us, though you were rebellious towards me, I want to cleanse you and beautify you in that way. Without any wrinkle, that she may be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives. I'll tell you, before this is about husbands, this is good news. This is about God. But see, the uniqueness of marriage is marriage is not a contract. Now, you're not in a relationship with Sprint or AT&T or Verizon. 
I'll tell you, just don't pay your bill. You'll find out you're in a contract. <laughs> don't pay the bill. And the next time you grab that phone to go get your, your data, that's so important, it's not going to work. Because AT&T is going to say, I'm sorry, you did not. I sent you a number of notices, and they were red, which means respond. You didn't respond. Services are over. Because there's no relationship. There's a contract. A lot of you work on contractual basis in, in the work that you do. And you know if you do not perform, that's it. Now, you may have a, a boss or a company that's patient and kind, but you know patience goes so far. And if you don't fulfill your obligations and your duties, and certainly if they don't pay you, you're gone. You know, you're just as quick as, probably even quicker than they are. That's a contract. You know, the moment in a, a marriage ceremony that gets everybody's attention, you know, that kind of, ah, is when the couple's not facing the pastor or facing the audience, they face each other, you know that? And they share these words. I will love you if you do this for me. If you change all the diapers, I'll bring in all the money. But if you don't change the diapers, I'm not buying you what you want. Are you with me? And, and praise God, I only changed two diapers. But that's not because I said that. But anyway. What, who, who would want that? I mean, who would want that in, in a marriage relationship? You know, I'll stay, I'll stay this size. I'll look like this if you bring this in. But if you stop bringing this in, I'm not going to look like this. I'm not going to do this for you. That's a contract. That's, I'll scratch your back as long as you're scratching mine. And if you scratch it right, then I'll start scratching yours right. And that'll kind of work itself out. But as soon as you stop doing what I want, I'm out of here. I'm not going to do that anymore. That's a contract. That's not marriage. That's AT&T. That's Sprint. That's, I'm shutting off your data plan because you've used too much data. Now, marriage is a covenant. And see, what a covenant is is so different from a contract. A contract lays out mutual services. Marriage says, this is who I want to be for you. You know, for better, come on, you got it. For worse, for richer, you've been to enough. Poor, sickness, health. Love, honor, cherish. When? Till what? Till he stops mowing the grass? <laughs> Till death do us part. That is not the promise of present love. It's the promise of future love. It's saying to that woman, this is the man I want to be for you. Regardless if you reciprocate or not. Now, it, it helps when she reciprocates. But regardless of how you respond... I want to be this man for you. And it's a woman saying, I want to be this woman for you because that's who I am. That's who I want to be before God. That's a covenant. And so when God established our relationship, he looked to marriage and said, that's the only relationship that comes close to defining how I respond to you. How does God respond to us? What's the basis of our relationship with God? Well, listen to this. Here's the basis of our relationship. Listen to Revelation 5.9. In Revelation 5.9, the church is like in a worship service. And they are happy and they are rejoicing and they, maybe they're dancing. They are excited. And listen to what they're excited about. Re Revelation 
And it says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood, listen, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God didn't choose us because he wanted us on our team, on his team. The reason that God loved us is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He poured out his life so that we could have life. He sacrificed the love of the Father so we could know the love of the Father. Because what did Jesus have? You know the coolest thing about God? Is that from eternity past, he's always existed in relationship within himself. I mean, how cool is that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Don't ask me to explain it. It's just there. It's called the Trinity. It means from eternity past, God has been loving and giving love. From eternity past, God has been showing glory and giving glory to the, to the other. And what God does is though we are rebellious he, rebellious, he invites us into that relationship he has shared within himself for eternity. And he ransoms us. To be ransomed means you're enslaved. And that's what sin is. Now, we don't know. Sometimes we think we're really enjoying our slavery, but the reality is we are enslaved. So many people will say, I'm free to do whatever I want. No, you're not. We tell ourselves, right? I'm free. I, I get to do what I'm free to do, and I make my own decisions. No, you're, you're dictated by DNA, by your parents, by your culture. There's so many influences on you telling you what to do and what to value. And then there's this reality of sin. We have a sin nature. And sin is slavery. And the reality is we live in this slavery. And so often we call that slavery salvation, joy, peace. And Jesus Christ came and he showed us the depths of God's love by dying for us and opening our eyes to say, hey, this isn't life. This isn't life. And he came into our culture and started breaking things out and showing us the glory and the love of God. And he saved us not because we had our life together, and not because he knew the great things we'd do for him. He saved us because of the blood of Jesus. That's a covenant. But here's the cool thing about God's covenant. On the one hand, it begins with his promise. It doesn't begin with your promise to God. It starts with his promise to you. But his promise to you enables you to fulfill your promise to him. I'm going to say that again because it's good. His promise to you, listen, his promise to you enables you to fulfill your promises to him. That God is not only the one that establishes the relationship, he sustains the relationship. He's not only the one that brought you into the blood of Jesus, he enables you to obey through the blood of Jesus. That the way we grow in the Christian life isn't by coming through faith and moving on to hard work. We come through faith in Jesus Christ and we grow from faith to faith, to faith, to faith, to faith, to faith. What does that mean? You know, every time I sin, I'll tell you why I sin. I'm going to kind of be honest here. It's because I have idols in my life. Paul says in Romans 1, the reason we rejected the Creator is we looked at the creation and said, man, that looks good. She looks good. I'm not going to do this God's way. I'm going to do it my way. We rejected the creator and started desiring what God had created. We started using the talents and the gifts and all the things he gave us to build a tower for ourselves. It's called the Tower of Babel, Old Testament. 
And that's what we're doing so often in life is we're building a tower through our finances and money, through the way I see the world. It has to be like this. And I this, this, this is how it is. This is how it has to be. Jesus comes in and he kind of takes the foundation away by turning the world upside down. Because he didn't desire beauty or power or money or wealth or fame. Rather, all those things he had, he gave them up in dying for us so that we could turn the values of the world upside down. So that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are not things we desire. But he turned everything on its edge. Why? So that through his love and sacrifice, we would have gratitude towards God. That we would have gratitude towards God. And it's gratitude that leads us to obedience and repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Listen to this. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter, but... Verse 24, listen to how how he describes our relationship now to him, meaning to Jesus who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion and authority before all times and forevermore. Notice what he says, to the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. See, I thought it was my willpower that keeps me from stumbling. When I sin, what's my, what do I do? i got to try harder. Shoot, i got to get up early. Monday, right? It's Monday, first of the year, right? Going to do the Bible study up at 4 a.m., reading the Word of God, praying for an hour. Willpower. No, it's grace that keeps you from stumbling. What does that look like? In a lot of ways, it looks like an athlete. I know you guys are going to be watching football tomorrow, so it works. What is an athlete? The reason an athlete is an athlete is because they're committed. It's not because they don't fail. I mean, the greatest athletes fail. You watch baseball, they fail all the time. I mean, if they, if they hit 30% of the balls thrown at them, they're doing great. If they get on base 40% of the time, they're doing awesome. So that means they're failing 70% of the time, 60% of the time. But no one would look at them and say, you're not committed. Because what happens? Each time they fail, they go back to the fundamentals. Each time the ball goes through the legs, what do they do? Take more grounders. They go back to the fundamentals. What is the fundamentals of the Christian faith? The fundamentals of the Christian faith is called the gospel. It's the reality that Jesus Christ loved us died for us and rose again so that we might have new life. Which means every time I sin, i got to run back to Jesus. And every time I sin, I need to go back to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, right now there's something in my life I love more than you. I'm just going to be honest, because that's what's going on in my life. That's called repentance. It's admitting with God what he already knows to be true. You don't love me. Now, church, we try to pretend like we do. Right? And we look to our giving, we look to our serving and our sacrifice. God's looking at the heart. He said, I don't care about your goats and your bulls and your sacrifices. It's worthless to me if your heart isn't for me. God looks at our heart. And then what he does is he gives you the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? Holy Spirit every day is saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Every time you get angry, he's saying, look at Jesus. You know what happens so often? Just like Scrooge, you take that cap and you shut the Holy Spirit out. But the Holy Spirit comes back and says, look at him. See, how do we grow? How do we grow? By trusting more and more in what Jesus has done. 
And see, if that is what God has done for us, if his relationship to us is a covenant, here's the big conclusion. Our relationship to each other has to be a covenant. Meaning, if no one reciprocates to me, I will love you as Christ loved me. That's my commitment to you. And not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. If you read the New Testament, you'll find the one another's, right? 17 times in the book of John, love one another. Why 17 times? Because we need to hear it 17 times. But then he says, love one another, listen church, as I have loved you. You know what that means? When I'm not loving you well, i got to go repent to Jesus and say, I've ignored how much you've loved me. I've made the offense of that person bigger than your love. And Father, forgive me, forgive me. I need to be broken by the love that you've poured out for me. He says, forgive one another. When I don't forgive, you know what the problem is? It's not trying harder. The problem is I don't realize how much I've been forgiven. I don't realize to the depths Jesus Christ has forgiven me. Patient, right? You love that one. Be patient with one another. Why are we not patient, church? Not because you need a class on patience. You don't need a book that has five principles for patience. You can read it. It's not going to help. You need to repent. You need humility. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to those who say, God, I'm not patient. I'm not patient to her. I'm not patient to him. I don't like him. I don't like you. I don't like you. But God, here's the reality. You are patient to me. Break me by your patience. It's your patience towards me that you didn't want any to perish, but all come to everlasting. Church, do you see that? Do you see the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus Christ? It's a covenant. Which means, when we join a church, what we're saying is, I'm going to be for you what Jesus has been for me, regardless of what you are for me. You with me? Regardless of what you are, like a parent is often to a child, the child will scream at that parent, that parent will still love that child. Crazy, right? Well, we are the family of God. And there are children in this room that need to know Jesus more. Well, parents, you that are mature in Christ... How are, you going to, how are they going to see Jesus? They need to see Jesus by Jesus working in you and flowing through you. But we need to be in covenant relationship with each other. And when we are, when we're not just about reciprocation, and the church isn't about consuming what the pastor can give or what services they have or what they do, their music and all the buildings and all that stuff, when it's not about that, you know what the world starts to say? Hey, I see God. I see God in those people. Because Jesus said, by your love, they will know that you are my disciples. Church, are we willing in this year to humbly say, Lord, would you do that in us? Would church not be about church and about Christian culture, but about Jesus? And about humbly saying, Lord, I need you. I need you not every hour. I need you every second. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my finances. I need you in my job. I need you in my relationships and where I'm buying a home. I need you. Because it's only as I'm dependent on you and you are working through me that I can love the people around me in a way that this community in Evergreen would look at the church and say, I don't agree with you on this and this and this. But shoot, I see some wisdom in the way you're doing things. I see wisdom in the way you treat others, the way you serve this community. I see the power of God. What is the mission of God? The mission of God is a new kind of people. You're God's mission. Because when Jesus left, we're what he left behind.
And if we don't live in love like Jesus, not in perfection, but in a pursuit, this world will not come to know him. It is through us that the gospel is made known. Are we willing to embrace, it, embrace that? And then just to start today, I'm not asking you to, you know, kind of get all radical and all that. I'm just saying, would you just admit to the Lord, Lord, I need you to work in my life so that could be true. I need to see more of what you've done so that I can allow the power of Christ to work through me. Because that's the hope, is that Christ is in us. Let me pray for us. If I confess as a pastor... Um, Lord, it's so easy for, for me just to, to rest in my ability and not to rest in you. Lord, it's easy for us. We have talents. We have, we're strong in so many ways. In this congregation, we are so incredibly gifted, talented, creative, ingenuity. Lord, we've done, there's so many in this room that have done so much. And yet, Lord, what you desire to do is for, for us to take all those things like crowns at your feet and say, Jesus, would you use us to reflect the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people who are happily perishing, who don't know the need of the love of God the Father, who hear the gospel and they see it as foolishness. But Lord, to those of us who are being saved, we see in it the wisdom of God. Lord, would that wisdom grow in our hearts this year? And as a community, would we not fight each other, but fight for each other? And Father, would you teach us to fight for this community, that they may come to know Jesus Christ, to follow you, to love you, and to experience the joy that we can have only through Jesus. Father, we love you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand as we respond to worship.